Welcome to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. I'm your host, Tim Reed. And once again, I'm so excited to be here today. Thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast. Well, here we are in the middle of the COVID crisis. I've been at home now for pretty much a, a month straight and been getting out a little bit, but I think it's kind of sinking in the, the reality that we're all sitting in right now. And even though this has been a time of a lot of hardship, as I've been on the phone with businesses, it has been amazing to see how people are starting to think outside the box and find ways to tighten up the screws in their business that weren't there before this happened. As I've kind of surveyed different businesses across the country, there's really a spectrum of where people are at. There's companies that have not showed a lot of leadership that have just kind of buried their heads in the sand and just waited for things to happen. And there's other companies that have been super proactive going after this, making sure that everything's in place with the way that they're communicating with their team members and and going about finding a way forward. And it's just been really interesting to see the ideas and innovations that are coming out of this time. One thing that's been cool have been the conversations that have been going on inside the Firetime Network. Now, for those of you that haven't signed up, you need to go to thefiretimenetwork.com and create a free account. It's basically a social media platform for the fireplace industry. And what we've actually been doing is having a weekly Zoom call with people from all across the country. And we've had manufacturers, distributors, sales reps, and dealers on this. And it's been just an amazing time to kind of take a survey of what's been working and and bounce ideas off of each other to help our businesses get better during this crisis. And I know for me, it's been super, super fun to get to know more of you guys on a personal level as we've got a lot of time in front of us that we've just never had before. So as we dive into today's episode, I'm really excited about this guest because Wayne Visbean is someone that I've followed for a number of years now, and I found out about him through Napoleon and their Hot Spots research presentation that they put together a number of years back. And Wayne's a world-renowned architect. You're going to hear in the interview, he's been designing just unbelievable spaces for the last 30 years approximately. And what I love about Wayne is the way that he thinks. So he's an architect, but as you listen to him, you're going to find that his process is all about clarity. It's all about focus. It's all about understanding. And I actually saw him give the keynote address for the HPB Expo in New Orleans about a month and a half ago. And as I was listening to it, I thought, man, we have to get this guy on the podcast. And what was really cool in his keynote was that he talked about how understanding architecture can actually grow your business. And he went through examples of showrooms that have invested in architecture. He talked about ways that you can connect with local architects and about how the intentionality that you put into the way your business is laid out and the way that things are displayed can pay huge dividends down the road. And I love this conversation because we were able to dive really deep on that. And I know that especially during this time right now where things are on lockdown, Man, this is the time to listen to this content because you can do something about it and absolutely move the needle in your business. Before we get started with the conversation, though, I, I want to just mention something that, uh, you know, I don't know how else to talk about it. It was just a horrific event that happened a little bit less than a week ago in Nova Scotia. So I'm sure most of you guys have read about it. There was just a 
terrible, terrible mass shooting. And it was, it was Canada's biggest mass shooting. Well, we lost a couple people in the hearth industry in that shooting. Uh, there was a couple named Greg and, and Jamie, and they both lost their lives in it. And I had people reach out to me because they left some boys behind and, and there was a GoFundMe page that was established for the family. And I was going to talk about it on the podcast and tell everybody that this is something that you absolutely need to be contributing to, but they've actually exceeded all their goals. They've raised over $120,000 to take care of these boys and they've actually stopped accepting donations. And so, you know, I was going to come on and talk about how we need to, to get around this cause, but it's amazing that so many of you have already done that. You know, it's just, there's no words to talk about how horrible that situation is. We live in a super broken world and it's terrible that things like this happen. But while all that's true, it's also amazing to see so many people rally around a family and and uh, be there for them. You know, going through the, the list of donations, most of the donations on that weren't like thousands and thousands of dollars. It was people giving 50 bucks, 100 bucks, 500 bucks, and they raised a bunch of money. And, you know, we were just praying for that family and for everybody that was involved in that just horrific event. There's no words for it. So with that, like I said, it's just amazing to see people gather around those who are hurting. And that's ultimately what our job is, right? For those of us who are people of influence, who are people who've been given something, the purpose of that is so that we can go out and share it with others through generosity and through blessing. So with that, I'm excited to give you this conversation today. Like I said, Wayne is is absolutely terrific, and I just cannot wait for you to hear this content. And we'll circle back at the end and talk about it. Joining me from Grand Rapids, Michigan, is a world-renowned architect. This man has worked on projects in over 20 countries. His projects have been viewed millions of times on house. I'm joined by the principal and founder of Visbean Architects, Wayne Visbean. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Cool. Well, hey, I appreciate you being on the podcast, and I've actually been a fan of your work for a number of years now as you've been working with Napoleon on just marketing initiatives and, and projects and things like that, and it's, it's really cool to get to talk to you, and I actually got to see your keynote presentation in New Orleans at the HPB Expo, and I, I loved it, and as soon as I saw it, I was, I was thinking, man, we, we've got to get this guy on the podcast because... The keynote was terrific, and, and what I loved is that even though it was focused on architecture, and we're going to get to architecture, the theme behind it was really clarity and order rather than chaos. And as, as I want you to tell a little bit of your story, but I'd love you to, to kind of speak into, as you've risen through the ranks of architecture, become you know, world-renowned, how has that focus helped you become who you are today? Well, that's an interesting question. Uh, so, you know, the focus for me is that I love design and I think I see design in everything, uh, whether it's retail, whether it's architecture, whether it's homes, uh, interior design um, and everything I, I do, I try to really do it uh, to the best of my ability. I try to tie in vernacular and, and be consistent with a look or a style. Um, I'm not I don't hold to any specific style because I work in all styles which makes me a little bit unusual, more of a chameleon. I think the retail design experience has what uh, is what started that and gave me that history of, you know, whatever's appropriate for the for the retailer is appropriate for me to design. 
and I carried that over to my home and architecture pra- practice as well. That's awesome. And, and you've been involved in some huge projects, right? Like, can you talk about some of the commercial projects that people are going to know the names of that you've been a part of? Sure. I mean, obviously I'm going to age myself now, but I uh, worked in the museum world for years. I was one of the top retail designers in the museum uh, space doing the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York, uh, the Louvre in Paris, the Prado in Spain, and then locations across the country for for the Met as we took that uh, program international and worked in Taipei, Taiwan, Hong Kong, Singapore, the Philippines, uh, Brazil, Costa Rica, and many other countries. Uh, doing those stores. That got me into department stores like Isatan in Japan, Cebu in Japan, Roostans in the Philippines. Um, and then I also worked for uh, companies like Bergdorf Goodman uh, and doing work for Lassiers, Kmart, Target, Walmart, uh, doing high-end uh, stuff and low-end product work, yep. but really trying to organize those retailers in a way that just made their spaces better um, and tried to help uh, increase sales cross-merchandising of products. So my retail background, again, was a lot of retail stores. Sears, uh, like I said, Gap, Banana Republic, Lugine, Gucci. I could go on and on. I love what you said there about how, how you your job was to organize the retailers. Because I, I think that as, as, I, as I watch what you do, you, you really bring organization to the table and you do it in a way that is simple. And, and, and I, I've learned this over the last few years, like to make things simple is extremely difficult to do because you have to process everything separately and put everything in its rightful spot. Yeah, that's it. That's insightful for you because frankly, the simpler the plan is, the harder it was to get there, but the easier it is to build, the better it is to live in. If things are on focus or on center lines, it's easier to live there. If you can create a focal point every time I turn in, uh, in an aisle in a retail store or down the hallway of a home, if I open a door and the window's on center with that door, it's going to feel better. And it's harder to design it that way, but in my mind, it's harder not to because if you organize things and have a pattern and a simplicity to it, you make you give people a sense of peace. And once they have peace, it's a better place to live, shop, or you know exist. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Well, so, so now you've, you've come into the fireplace industry now through your work that you've done with Napoleon. And, and I want to keep pushing on this idea of focus and simplicity because I think one of the most brilliant things that you've done that has really helped Napoleon's marketing is how you've broken out four pillars of design, traditional, contemporary, transitional, and then rustic eclectic. And what I've loved, I've, I've been listening a bunch to this podcast by Gary Keller, the CEO of Keller Williams. And in it, he talks about the value of building models. If you want to change the world, you can't be a unicorn. You got to build a model that somebody else can take and repeat. And what you did with those four design pillars is you created a model that a layperson can use to become a better designer. And as they start to become a better designer and see trends, they get more invested in their project and, and the work that you do and, and fireplaces in general. So how can understanding those four simple pillars help somebody connect with their customers better if you're in the fireplace space? Yeah, I think it, well, I think it's better in fireplaces and design and even for the customers themselves to understand who they are, what their style choice is, a lot of people don't know. So simplifying it to four categories just helps everybody understand a little bit better what the product is and what they desire. So for the fireplace industry, um, you know, we started by creating Napoleon's booth about three years ago where we designed those four playhouses on the four corners. 
And those playhouses represented those four styles, those four pillars. And I just wanted to create those as icons to say, put your contemporary fireplaces around the contemporary playhouse. Put your fireplaces that are transitional around the transitional playhouse, et cetera, et cetera. And once you do that, you begin to hone in on what is the style I'm looking for. Is, an, is a linear fireplace more contemporary or transitional? Yes. Does it fit a mountain style home? Not really as well. Might I use it in, in a mountain style home? Yes, I might, but I have to do something different with the surround. Yeah. So I think what we're doing is just trying to simplify that for people in the showrooms, for the customers who come in. And if you can make it easy for a customer, I think it just helps, helps the, the salespeople sell the fireplaces more appropriately. It doesn't mean you can't break the rules. Rules are meant to be broken, but it does give you at least a set way to begin your thought process with the customer. Oh yeah, well I mean I think about it like when you're when you're writing a song, like there's certain chords that are generally going to sound good and every once in a while you can break the rules and and use something weird, but you're doing it intentionally understanding how that actually fits within the rest of the rules that you're doing. And I sure. think what you did with the four design pillars is you've given vocabulary to, you know, a lot of people work in showrooms don't have a design background, but understanding those four pillars of design when a client comes in you sound really credible when you say, well, hey, you know, there's, there's generally four pillars of design and I would like to show you some fireplaces in the transitional space and in the contemporary space because I think that this is the direction that you're moving towards. That clarity really helps the customer connect with you and be invested in their project. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think it makes the same kind of a statement to people when I'm designing their home and they walk in and the first thing I want to know is what's your style? What's your look? Are you flat roof? Are you pitched roof? Are you a steep pitched roof, more traditional? Are you going to do a hip roof, which may be more transitional, more yeah. prairie, more, you know, so those things make, make a difference. And I do think you can have continuity in design with the architecture and the interior, taking the fireplace as a big part of that styling. Oh, that's awesome. Well, we're, we got to go next because I, I, I couldn't have a conversation with you without talking about this. I'd love for you to explain your process for creating a dream home with one of your clients. Can you talk about like, what's the entire experience like? So I'm a little bit unique in that uh, if you view our videos at bizbean.com, you'll see that I am a live design artist. So part of what made me successful as a retail designer and how I got in front of the CEO and president of Sears and in front of Martha Stewart and in front of the owner of Gucci is the fact that I would design the store and or the museum shop live right in front of the client. I do the same thing with my home design process. And it starts with an interview, and it's really just a getting to know people and really starting to understand them and trying to really get in their, their head and their space, especially with couples, because couples tend to have a lot of uh, differences, um, you know, opposites attract, I suppose. And so you find people that uh, are going to have different perspectives on their home, on the look they want. And then it's my job as an artist and a psychologist almost to, to, to really put those two things together and always give people a solution they're going to both be happy with. So it's a little bit of, um, uh, of design, a little bit of marriage counseling or life counseling, and a, and, a, and a lot of creativity. And so the process is really always a little different, but I start with asking a lot of questions. I want to know how they live. I want to know how they cook. I want to know who reads. I want to know if they watch TV, if they watch TV separately. You know, is one of them a sports fanatic and one of them watching Hallmark Channel? You know, it tells me a lot about their personality. Do they cook together? Do they need two dishwashers in the kitchen? 
Uh, do they entertain a lot? What's the traffic flow from the table to the island? And I could go on and on about every room, every space, every nuance of a home. And I learn that. And as I learn it, I start to know what they want. I know that they're transitional in style. I know they want a two-story living room. They want to have a center entry that has a view out the backyard. I know that they like a lot of glass or they don't like a lot of glass. I know that they you know, want their master closet in between their bedroom and their bathroom for privacy and quietness between the two, or they want the toilet close to the bedroom because they get up in the night. So there's just so many things that begin to put that puzzle in place. And then I just start drawing the home uh, and, and I watch their face. I watch their body language. And as I get closer and closer to hitting it, I take it further and further. And after a two to three hour meeting, I normally will have full floor plans drawn first and second for sure. If there's a second floor, I'll have an exterior perspective sketch. I'll have a look of the home. I'll do some interior sketches as I'm an interior designer and architect, both. I always focus on the fireplace and the, and the surround of the fireplace because it's almost the most important element that has a recap of the architectural style of the exterior. Those two things are almost always in sync. Hmm. Um, so that's, that's the process in a nutshell. I could keep going, but that kind of gives you a little bit of the insight to what I do. Well, that's amazing. And, and I know that we were talking offline, like people fly in to meet you, right? Like they fly in, they literally stay at your place. And this is like a weekend project, isn't it? Yeah. So we've had a, we have a live work. Um, I live on the third floor. We have a guest apartment on the second floor. Uh, Angela does our sales and marketing and she brings people in. Uh, usually they come in, they get picked up at the airport by a driver. Uh, we bring them into our place. We give them a tour of the building and the home. I'll sit with them at two o'clock in the afternoon and draw until dinner time. At dinner time, we will all sit together and have dinner, maybe talk about the home that we've designed for them. And then they, they stay in our guest apartment on the second floor. We wake in the morning. I get up and I do their interior concepting in the morning. I get more into the kitchen and the fireplace and the interior, the outdoor living space, the screen porch. Um, the patios, the the details of the home, they typically sign a contract, and after 24 hours, they're on their way home with a new home in their hand. It's amazing. That's amazing. And I'm just thinking, like, what a holistic buying experience for a, the customer, where they're like they're immersed in your brand. They they feel like they're a collaborator. Like that that's that is. There's so many notes that we can take from that with thinking about if you're in a retail space. How can we make the customer invested in the process? Because that's got to get buying and credibility. Yeah, and today that's more important in retail than ever before. People want to be able to make decisions. So you're going to find retailers that are making a lot of differences of the customer experience in their store, whether it's uh, customized sizing, whether it's um, having a a Xenia trunk show to have the jackets put on and say, look, I can have this made in Italy for you or or something along those lines. So that same experience is what happens in my office. They're, they are living it. They're seeing yep. it. And then we have all these space-saving uh, techniques that I've used in my building. I live in a 1,600-square-foot uh, home with two kids and my wife. <laughs> wow. And, and, and it's innovative in ways that people are surprised. It doesn't live small. It lives big. And so I use that to show them, look, you don't have to design large to design beautiful. You don't have to oversize something to make it functional. It's all about how you use your space. And the more creative you can use your space, the better things are going to be. And truthfully, given the current times we're living in, 
Uh, people's homes are more important than ever before. Yeah. Spending, spending time in your home is more, <laughs> more prevalent and more important than ever before. And so having a place you're comfortable in is hugely important. And so then you go to the hot spots. What's important in a home, a fireplace, uh, the kitchen, what are the places people want to live and want to be in? And so those are the things we really focus on in that tour and in that design session. Oh, that, that's amazing. And, and I think what's super clear is that you think holistically about a customer's project. And that's one thing in our industry, the fireplace is is such a niche category. It's, and it's, and it, it is a, a big part of the, the project in the sense that there's a lot of things contingent on it. But in the customer's mind, it's one of a, a million things. And I think that we often as fireplace people get so stuck in the weeds of the fireplace itself. What, what would you say, like, why is it better to have a holistic approach to the customer's project? Well, you know, you have to know how they're going to live and how they're going to act in the home. And, and the fireplace is certainly one of those things. You know, there's people that have to have a wood burning fireplace and there's people that just want the ambiance and, and are be ha- will be happy with electric. So you first have to know who they are and what they are and what the goal is. You also have to deal with climate. So when I'm doing homes in Florida, I do outdoor fireplaces and I do fireplaces for people just for that ambiance, but not for heat. Yeah. Uh, so then, then you really want to have a cool face on the fireplace. Uh, if people have small kids, you want to have the technology to keep that glass cool. Um, and you want to talk about how you're going to design the fireplace into their, into their life, whether it's in their bedroom, whether it's in their living room, whether it's in their kitchen, their outdoor living space. In my home, there's a fireplace in the garage. And it's a heat source. Why put a hot dog in the ceiling when I could put a beautiful fireplace on the wall <laughs> and have it on a thermostat? Yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely with you. And I think that, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things where we, we talk a lot in the sales process that we teach about before you advise a customer a solution, you have to understand their problem. And, w- and what yes. you're doing and going slow on the front end like this and thinking holistically about the project is you are connecting and you are truly understanding the problems that they have. And it's amazing how when you understand the customer's problem and your solution is specific to it, it's amazing how they want to buy from you. Yeah, no, I agree with that completely. Well, you've done some amazing work in the retail space too. And I want to just ask you, you know, a lot of the people listening to this, they got some downtime to work on their showrooms right now. What, what kinds of things do you want to see in a retail space? Well, I think it comes down to the same kind of things you and I talked about. Clarity, organization. Um, you know, you want, you want to organize things, in my opinion, by theme. Um, I would rather have less and have it done better than having more. I think you can confuse people with too many choices. Um, certainly, you want to show your whole uh, portfolio. But on the other hand, you can't show it all physically and do it well unless you have an endless budget and a huge showroom. So I, I tend to think photography. I, I tend to think uh, videos. Uh, to show the variety of styles within a brand. I do think some great displays that showcase, like I said, the four pillars, or you said the four pillars of design. It'd be great to show people a big stone fireplace with a, with a huge box and a big, uh, you know, a, a big fire in a, in a rustic or a mountain style home or lodge. And it'd be great to have a contemporary setting with a real crisp, clean, linear yeah. fireplace in another part of the showroom. Because people then can say, this is what feels good to me. Yeah. And immediately they can relate. And if the customer can relate in your showroom, they'll probably be more ten, 10 more to buy. It's much like visual merchandising in a retail store. 
the mannequin that, that has the, the, the appropriate jacket and, uh, you know, thing put together with a tie and shirt tends to be the exact combination people buy because when they see it, they buy it. Yeah. Uh, every, everyone doesn't have a vision for what looks good. So how can you show them that and really enhance their experience by giving them visual cues onto what they'll like? I love that. And, and, and I loved in that keynote that you gave in new Orleans that you were really blatant in saying, show less fireplaces and have tons of, you know, pictures, videos and, and things like that. But people do get overwhelmed. And I think that it, it, we talk about this all the time in the podcast is it's the curse of knowledge. The more you know about something, the more you forget what it was like to not be familiar with it. And since we as fireplace people know the millions of different options, like we can just rattle it off like it's easy, but to the customer, it's so much better to present a few amazing looking options in person. And then you can, you can back up digitally with, you know, photographs and videos and things like that. But I'm with you that if you invest in a few displays, make it super comfortable, people can sit down, they can feel like this is where they're going to live. I think that you're going to move the needle with that as opposed to cramming a million things into a showroom that just confuses people. Sure. And, it, and it's tough because I know that there's a firebox that you want to show me that I'm not necessarily going to buy if I don't see it. So I understand both sides of this problem. But when you start to really clutter up your showroom, you're not the place people want to shop. Mm-hmm. Do the example you can, you can, uh, I can speak to from a retail perspective is if people can envision when they used to walk into a Kmart, <laughs> because there's not very many of them anymore, oh, yeah. there are any, and the mess and the signage and the, and the clutter with the massive amount of product they had, and then you walk into a Target. And what's the difference? Well, they sold the same product. But in my mind, Target would have five different white shirts, and they would have 20 of each of them. And Kmart would have 20 different shirts and show five of them. Hmm. So they just thought they had to be all things to all people. So why not show them all? Well, it got to be so cluttered that you can't get clarity or a vision of what you want. So my example of Kmart and Target is a pretty easy one to say, organize your space, make a, have a point of view, that point of view will sell. And yes, you might sell five times more of the fireplace you show than the one you don't. But you might sell five times the fireplace you show. Yeah. So you also get people excited about your environment. Absolutely. Well, and, and this kind of piggybacks right on that. In, in a retail space, you really highlighted this with the Target Kmart contrast. But can you talk about how important traffic patterns are in a retail space? Sure. I think, you know, if you think of an Ikea, um, which is probably the, the, the king of sending people in a chaotic traffic pattern that doesn't let you go backwards. <laughs> they, make, they make you see everything. Now, that's the, the most complicated um, one I can think of. But they do drive you through the entire store through a chaotic pattern. But at least you see everything. I am a big fan of simplicity in traffic so that I know where I am. I, I feel comfortable. I feel safe. And I can see the different categories unfold before me. Um, a good drive aisle with nice focal points leads my eye, leads my body, and gives me a sense of peace. It's like good design in a home. Mm. I, I don't want to not be able to figure out where the bathroom is when I need it. Um, so it's just nice to have things organized in a way that seem to make sense. Yeah, I'm with you 100%. And I think that the 
the danger is people listening to this, I, I imagine somebody that has maybe had a business for 20 years, the showroom is cluttered, there hasn't been a lot of thought put into it, and they're thinking, well, you want me to start thinking about traffic patterns in my showroom? You want me to start taking out fireplaces and putting more effort into this? You know, it seems like a lot of work. Can you speak to, like, why does having an intentional approach to your retail showroom, why does that set you apart from everybody else? Well, first, it's funny how people's paradigms get more and more complacent. So if you're in a place that tends to get messier and messier and messier, and you don't see the piles or the clutter or the fact that you have accessories all over the place, and you little by little, by little live there and don't understand how what a disaster your showroom has become, look at it with a fresh set of eyes. Try mm-hmm. to walk into it like you've never been there before and look around and go, wow, what am I seeing? So um, I think it's really important for people to understand that, that they, they really uh, tend to let things go, just like people do in their homes, by the way. You know, they put a pile on their washer dryer, and then they put a pile on their refrigerator, and then they start putting the kids' pictures on the fridge. And before long, the house looks like a disaster. So I just think, first off, organization and neatness is the beginning. You could just organize and get neat. And then your next step is to begin to, to create traffic patterns and have intentionality in what's where in the store. Maybe you cross merchandise accessories that are appropriate to the product you're selling. Um, and what I mean by that is if you're going to have fireplace accessories next to the fireplace, that makes sense. If you're going to have grill accessories next to the fireplace, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. You know, so very simple things like that. So, um, yeah, I just think it, it's a process and you just have to get your head into it and you have to begin to attack it. Yeah, and, and I just know, I mean, from, from my experience visiting businesses around the country, there is such a difference between a, a business that is intentionally thought through what their retail space looks like and how it's designed, how the traffic flow is. Because, you know, when you compare that to just like random chaos, you're, you're right, it is a feeling. Like, you know, when me and my wife walk in to go buy a car or a, like a dishwasher, an appliance, it, we're nervous because we're getting ready to part with a, you know, a lot of money and we don't buy these things very often and our fight or flight kicks in and the design of a place and, and the intentionality that was put into the layout of it literally makes us feel at ease and comfortable, which doesn't guarantee we spend money, but man, it sure helps it as opposed to going into right. somewhere where you just, you don't feel right, man, you're not opening up your wallet when you don't feel right. Right. And it's also the salespeople, right? So customer service and not being attacked at the door like you're walking into a cheap furniture store that yeah. you know you know they're uncommissioned and they're taking turns like piranha. Yep. You wanna have a you wanna have a sense of friendliness and kindness and, and you know and, and maybe it's a you know combination of when you walk in the door, people offer you a coffee. Yep. Uh, and it's just it's a friendly place to be. What about a nice sitting area in front of fireplaces where you can go sit relax and talk as a couple and start to get into the mode of where I am. The more comfortable you can make those people visually and from a customer service perspective, the better your sales experience will be and people will stay longer in the store. Um, you know, now a fireplace showroom's a destination. Yeah. So you, you really want to give them that destination with a sense of, hey, we're, we've arrived at someplace special. It's a big purchase, like you say. And if they're there, you, you've got half the battle taken care of. Now you don't want to scare scare them away with, with clutter and disaster. You need to look like you're as, as organized as you can be because that tells something about your business, about your pricing. Everything feels better to, to, to a customer who feels like the people that are showcasing the work understand the product. 
That's amazing. Well, and I know that in, in your keynote, you were showing pictures of fireplace showrooms that you've done work for, and it was just unbelievable to see the the before versus the renderings of what it's going to look like afterwards. I mean, it, it, I was dumbfounded. And and I know that for, for dealers right now that have showrooms, and this is a time they're thinking about renovation, you know, paying for architecture in your business is a big investment, but I'm just going to tee you sure. up and ask you, like, why is it worth it to pay big bucks to really get your space right from an architect? Well, first off, there's a misperception that it's big bucks. In in, in a lot of ways, you know, it isn't that expensive. Good design will make a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, de- designing a showroom, having a plan, having something that you can execute, done by a professional that's going to really make a difference, can help sell product. And so, you know, people don't like to pay for paper. And it's the same thing in home design. But a really well-designed home might save you more money than the one you bought off the internet that didn't have uh, a very good structure Mm -hmm. and a bad system. And so uh, a good designer might be able to show you ways of saving money during the construction of your build, might be able to show you tricks of the trade to create um, architectural integrity without spending a fortune. Mm -hmm. And those are the things that an expert that has good, uh, good history and good knowledge can offer to you. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, for me, in in the showroom designs that I've been a part of, I've never worked with an architect personally. But after seeing the designs that you had, I mean, it was incredible. It, it absolutely made sense that like, if we're actually going to take this seriously and drop whatever a hundred grand on a remodel, let's get this in front of someone that has done this before and can help us holistically think through the project because it's going to make a difference in how many fireplaces we sell. Yeah. And again, as, as I am a, um, an architect and designer that happens to design retail spaces, I also was a retail worker. I, I was a salesman in a jewelry store when I, when I was growing up during architecture school. I understand how to close sales. I understand how to open sales. Um, I, I worked for a 90-store chain, and I was top part-timer for two to three years in a row where wow. I outsold the, man, the manager of my company. Wow. And, and those experiences helped me be a better retail designer because I'm not just thinking about the, the layout. I'm thinking about how you like the product. I'm thinking about cross-merchandising. I'm thinking about how I'm going to get a customer uh, to the counter or desk and have them buy the next level. I'm um, thinking about how you upgrade people. And, and again, how the design can do that. There, there's a lot of subtleties to good design that can actually increase sales beyond just a good aesthetic. Yeah, I believe it. Well, Wayne, you've given us just like tremendous value in this conversation. I know that people listening to it are going to be taking notes and putting this into play. But one thing I want to ask you that you mentioned in your keynote in New Orleans, I thought was really interesting. You, you talked about, you, you took uh, just amazing questions from the audience and gave some insightful answers on how do you build rapport with local architects? What can fireplace professionals start doing to create many partnerships in your own community, kind of like you have with Napoleon? And one of the things you mentioned is just kind of a passing comment that I thought was really interesting. And I, I think it's going to be an inspiration for the people listening to this. You mentioned that architects have a tough job. And they're often undercompensated for their work. And with you, you've obviously broken through that ceiling. And and I'd just love to ask, how have you been able to make yourself stand out in such a crowded space? I know that there's people listening to this. They feel like that's them. How were you able to make yourself stand out in such a crowded space? 
Uh, it's interesting. So again, I think the retail background, the sales background made a difference. Um, I think that architects tend to undervalue themselves. They tend to compete against each other. They can, tend to try to undersell each other. And they start to believe their own paradigm of the fact that it's just paper. And if people understood the value, if I can design your home and take 500 square feet out of your home by excellent design, I might save you at $200 a foot, $100,000. And that is real money. And instead of saying, oh, I only need four or five grand to design your home and I'm going to spend hundreds of hours on it. By the time I'm done, I might be making five bucks an hour. And that, that is so common in the architecture world. And I think it's because people undervalue architects and architects undervalue themselves and they don't know how to sell the fact that they are offering a value. They are offering people a better life. If the home is better designed, it's a better place to live. If the showroom is better designed, it's more effective and it might it might generate another 15 or 20% of revenue. If I can increase the revenue of a retail store by 20%, would you pay me $25,000 for that? Yeah. Probably. Yep. So I think first off architects undervalue themselves. And, and that has, has let the customer undervalue them as well. And so I think first you have to value what you do and understand there is a value. And once you understand there's a value, then you have to know how to sell it. And it's much like selling a fireplace. What's the difference between a Napoleon versus one of the other brands? Well, in my opinion, it's the quality of the product. It's the quality of the metal, the thickness of the steel behind the scenes. Uh, the fact that Wolfgang invented the best firebox in the industry. Now, people don't know that. I do. I've been educated. And because I know that, it's easier for me to sell Napoleon fireplaces to my customers. Yeah. Now, that makes total sense. And I love, I'm, I'm going back through my notes here that I was taking as you were talking. And one of the things you said in your keynote is you said, it's not that I'm the most talented architect. I'm not but it's that I would always draw it in front of them. And I think what you're just describing is that as you enlighten people about yourself, your services, I mean, it sounds like architects that devalue themselves, like number one, they haven't even been enlightened to their own value. And if they're not enlightened to it, they're not going to enlighten their customers to it. And once the customer knows and understands the value all of a sudden, that's when you can start doing business together. But there's nothing worse and, and more frustrating than trying to, sell somebody something that they don't find value in. Right. Right. Absolutely. Cool. Well, Wayne, this has been an absolute pleasure and I'm just, I'm thankful that you came on the show and I think that the audience is just going to get a ton out of it. Where is it that people can connect with you if they want to get work done on a retail space or just get inspired by the things that you've done? Yeah. My name, visbean.com, V-I-S-B-E-E-N.com. If you just Google Visbean alone, Visbean Architects, you'll see thousands of images of our work, retail, homes, furniture design. Uh, and again, we'd, we'd love the chance to work with, a, with anybody in your audience and uh, see what we can do for them. Perfect. Well, hey, thank you for being here. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Take care. Wow. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation with Wayne Visbean. I thought that was absolutely incredible. It's pretty clear listening to him that he has an absolute mastery of his process. And I love talking to people like him who've practiced over and over and over to the point where they are truly elite. And with Wayne, you know, he's done this so many times. He was telling me he's he's done over 1600 homes. And after a while it can be 
tempting to try to mail it in or, or to kind of shortcut the process. But if you listen to him, his process is slow, right? People come in, he asks them questions, he listens to them, he starts sketching, he makes changes based on what they're saying, and that slow process, you know, 20 years refined is what has made him an absolute master of the game. So I hope you guys got some incredible value from that. And I I think his approach of talking about clarity and simplicity is so important. For those of you that have retail showrooms, now is the time to take a look at it with new eyes. You know, walk into your showroom through the front door. Take a look around and think about it like a customer would. What can you be doing with traffic patterns? Do you have extra stuff in your showroom that just needs to go? You know, a lot of showrooms that I secret shop do, they're, they're just a, a cluttered disaster. And I, I love how he talked about showing less fireplaces because I think that's a danger in our industry where a lot of the time you'll, you'll look at a wall of fireplaces or of, of gas inserts and very often they're, they're double stacked, they're crammed together and they're set up to be efficient for a salesperson. A salesperson goes, oh, okay, well, I can show this size and this size and this front and this front, but it doesn't make sense to the customer. You know, it'd be like if you were going to buy a car or a dishwasher, you look at the wall and there's there's eight of them crammed all next to each other and they all look exactly the same to you. It just confuses things. And his point about showing less fireplaces, but making the displays absolutely stunning and using photo and video content to fine tune specifics that are outside of what you have on display is absolutely brilliant. What I found on the retail sales floor is if I can anchor a customer to a style or a size of fireplace, we can stay in the same spot and I can talk to them about all kinds of different situations using what's in front of me as a prop and a jumping off point. And it is absolutely worth thinking about that. I think his analogy talking about Kmart versus Target and you have Kmart that's showing 20 different shirts and they each have five and Target shows five shirts, but they have 20 of them a piece. That rule is so critical in a showroom and you're going to find that you sell a ton more fireplaces doing it. Now, one thing that's cool too is obviously Wayne has separated himself from just about everybody else in his space through his process of drawing live plans in front of the customer. And if you have not seen him do this, you have to check out the video that I'm going to post in the show notes. This is absolutely incredible. And and the thing to think about is that as he does this, he's sitting down with a customer. He's asking them questions. Remember, they've, they've come to his house, literally where he lives. So they've been invited in and he's listening to them, making them feel valued and he's sketching this out. That experience creates buy-in for a customer. You know, we had Bridget Brennan on a while back. She talked about how Consumers need to be connected to your brand. Well, that that face-to-face connection where they're part of the process grows so much loyalty. And I want you to be thinking about where can you do that in your showroom? Where can you make the customer part of the process where they've actually bought in and it's not you against them, but it's you guys together trying to solve the problem. I think that his entire process, the way that he's gone about it has been a value wedge that separates him from everybody else. And when you've created a value wedge like that, when customers are bought in, they feel like they're part of the process and they're loyal, that sets you up to run an amazing business and make a ton of money, all the while having super happy customers. So 
I love that chance to talk to Wayne. You absolutely need to be checking out his work. And Napoleon was pretty smart with the way that they snapped him up because the way that he's broken down these four pillars of design, the way that he's helped them start to innovate and simplify what they do is making a difference. And these are principles that we can all understand and start putting into use ourselves. So I'm glad that you guys were able to hear Wayne. And as we close out here, I'm just going to tell you guys one more time, if you haven't joined the Firetime Network, I don't know what's holding you back. You got to jump on the boat before it sails away. Go to the firetimenetwork.com. You can sign up totally for free. And I'm telling you, the content that's on there to help you grow your business through interactive courses is out of this world. And the community that's being formed is an absolute force to be reckoned with. So with that, I hope you guys have an amazing rest of your week. I know that times are very difficult right now, and I do not want to underscore that. But in that difficulty, there is opportunity if we're looking for it. Thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast. To learn more, visit the website, itsfiretime.com. Music from this episode was written and recorded by In Bloom out of Portland, Oregon. We thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. We'll see you next time. 